we have to have demonstrations of God's power in this nation. Not just in India, not just in Africa, but in the United States and Western Europe, we have to have miracles. So, <clears throat> praise God. So I was in, I went to art school before I went to Rhema. And uh, yeah, you don't get more liberal in art school, you know. And, and uh, so I came from a family of Marines and I went to art school. Imagine that, you know. So <laughs> it is always, it's, we're a weird bunch, you know. So I went to art school and uh, I, my dad though, my dad was in Vietnam. He was wounded in his ear and, and uh, in combat and it blew out his eardrum and he had PTSD. And he got born again in a Southern Baptist church in Jacksonville, North Carolina when he was in the Marines. Thank God for the Baptist. Amen. And he got born again and he came home. And he walked into a bookstore in Cleveland, and he felt impressed to get some books from a man that he never heard of before. They were devotionals. They were separated by seasons, you know. And he, he'd never heard of this man before. He picked them up. They were called faith food, and they were separated by, you know, amen, separated by the seasons. So he started tearing up those books. He said, he, he tells the story, it was like he was a man in the desert that was dying of thirst who had just found water. And he started to read. He had, you know, his pastor, his Southern Baptist pastor got him born again, thank God, in Jacksonville, but told him that God would break your finger if he wanted to teach you a lesson. And told him that if that didn't, if that didn't get your attention, he'd break your leg, you know, and he'd move on from there. And my dad grew up, yeah, right. And my dad grew up with a, my dad grew up with an abusive father. My grandfather was mean, and so it fit. It fit his world experience. He was like, well, yeah, of course that's what God's like. That, that makes sense to me, you know. But then he read these books about Brother Hagen, and he read how he was raised up off his deathbed and how he was healed. And my dad started to see that God would do it for him. He believed God, and God healed his ear. He, you know, praise God. Set him free from PTSD. Uh, he used to have a recurring nightmare every night, and uh, or not every night, but, you know, recurring regularly. He would wake up, cold sweat, wake up screaming. And it was of he was under a poncho and trapped, you know, in Vietnam. You ever been trapped under blankets and you can't lift up your arms and you're kind of, and he, and then a Viet Cong would come and bayonet him and it would just reoccur again and again. And he started to stand on the word and he started to realize that's the devil. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. And he resisted that. And one night he had that dream and the Viet Cong came out of the jungle, went to bayonet him and a lion jumped out of the jungle and attacked that Viet Cong and, and he never had it again. He was set free, set free from PTSD. Amen. Getting to what David asked me to share. So I shared all those stories in a report that I wrote in college. Okay. So, you know, I grew up with, you know, and some others I added to it. I shared all those stories, stories of my dad. And the funny thing is, I don't remember, it was an art history class. I don't remember how I worked miracle stories into an art history, into an art history report, you know. But I did it. I just, I just shoved it in there. I forced it in, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we were writing on, you know, ionic columns on Greek architecture or what, but by the way, my dad was healed of PTSD, you know. So. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that, you know. And uh, <laughs> my school was in Cleveland, Ohio, you know. Glad to be in Florida instead of Cleveland today, amen. And uh, <laughs> we got snow already. So, uh, uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I wrote this paper, went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, lived in Little Italy in Cleveland. Little apartment above an Italian restaurant. So 
I just wrote, filled it with miracle stories. And my, my art history professor, he was a wild guy. He was wild. He told us, just like you were saying about living, you know, go experience everything. Do the drugs. Do the whatever. And this is 20 years ago, you know. Just go and experience what the world has to offer. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of bad stuff you could experience, you know. And so I wrote, but he was cur- he was really curious. And he searched, you know, all kinds of wild religions and stuff. So I shared these testimonies. I'm, I'm at home in my apartment. 11.30 at night. Now, you know, 11.30 at night. I hear somebody's pounding on my door. And I go and I open up the door. And it's my art history professor. I don't even know how he got my address. You know, I don't, he had to go to admissions or something. This is pre-internet, you know. And uh, he's at my door, 11.30 at night. And he says, those stories you wrote about in the paper, are they true? I said, yeah, they're true, every one of them. And he came into the house. I said, I could tell you a lot more. Come on in, you know. And I told him a bunch of stories. How many of you know the stories are true? Amen. Hallelujah, it's all true. He really did die on the cross. He really did raise from the dead. He really is alive today. He really still does open blind eyes and deaf ears and cause lame legs to walk. Turn to somebody and say, it's all true. Praise God. Amen. I told him it was all true. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. So, you know, they prayed a prayer in, in the book of Acts. And uh, Kenneth Hagin talked about before the healing revival, that he would wake up in the middle of the night and find himself praying this prayer. And I've made it the foundation of our ministry because not only is it a perfect prayer, but they asked for three things. They summed up filling the Great Commission down to three things they needed from God. One, preach the word with boldness. we got to preach the word. Two, stretch forth your hand to heal. And three, signs and wonders be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. If we're going to win the nation... If we're going to change the way things are going, if we're going to win the world, we've got to make those three things as important as they made those three things. Amen. They could have asked for a hundred things. They didn't pray all night. They didn't pray. But they prayed those three things before the healing revival. Kenneth Hagin, like he said, and then he heard others were doing it. He'd wake up in the middle of the night on his knees in his living room praying that prayer. Well, let's pray that prayer again. Let's believe God for it. And then let's act on it. Amen. There comes a time, David Horton had a, a series that changed my life. Uh, just do it. You know, and there's, there's, a, there's a time to believe it. There's a time to pray for it. But then there's a time to just do it. Amen. Just do it. Just act on it. Just act like the Bible's true. And uh, David is my father in the faith. I never heard of David Horton. Uh, when I was at Rama. I, I'd heard your dad's name, but he wasn't teaching anymore. And I just heard it distantly. And... and um, and, you know, I heard it in passing. And somebody came up to me right when I, well, first I was praying. I worked in a security job at night. And I was praying in uh, our security office watching the monitors downtown Tulsa. Lord spoke to me. I just knew I was supposed to stay in Tulsa. I just had a knowing first, just to stay in Tulsa, which I was ready to go and get out there and do something, you know. But I knew I was supposed to stay. And then I heard a sentence that didn't make any sense. It said, fellowship with evangelist and mentoring. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Fellowship with evangelist and mentoring. Next day, another Rama student comes up to me in school and he says, you ought to check out this David Horton guy. He's starting, he's starting a fellowship with evangelist and he's big on mentoring. And I said, yeah, I think I better. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I could tell more about that. But the first time I heard him preach, I just had tears coming down my face. And I said, my God, this was, this was a divine thing, you know, praise God. But let's pray. Amen. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, consider their threatenings, Father. Consider what's going on, Father, in the earth today. Consider what's going on in this nation. Lord, but we magnify you bigger than the problems. We realize you are the God that created the heavens and the earth. You are the God that created the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the fowl. Father, you've created it all. We recognize you as God, and beside you there is none other. You are the one true living God. And we magnify you today, Heavenly Father. We magnify you. You're greater than the viruses. You're greater than the violence. You're greater than the division. You're greater than anything that's going. You're greater than the, the false thoughts that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. You're greater today, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. And Father, I ask you to grant your servants boldness. Your servants here in this room, grant us boldness, Father. It doesn't come, not a boldness that comes from our personality, not a boldness that comes from our DNA, but a Holy Ghost boldness that comes from heaven that all of us need. Grant thy servants boldness to preach your word. And Father, stretch forth your hand to heal. Father, we realize that healing has never been a side project for you. It's never been something that was, it's never been something that was just an extra thing. But Lord, everywhere the Savior went, everywhere Jesus went, he healed the sick. And every single representative he sent out, part of the program was to heal the sick. Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal in this nation. Stretch forth your hand to heal through my brothers and sisters and fellow ministers here. Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal. And, Lord, that signs and wonders be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are the same God as you were on Mount Carmel. And you still settle that argument the same way. When there was confusion among the Israelites, when there was confusion in the nation of Israel, you had an answer. You had a way to solve the problem. You said, build an altar and let me have a say. Let me show myself. Let me be part of the process. So, Father, we ask you for signs and wonders to be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. We thank you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. I hope I didn't go too long. Thank you. Praise we'll the get Lord. get the train back on track with our timing here. But um, sometimes, you know, uh, we've, 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 gotten, we've gotten to the place many times where we're so stuck to the schedule that we and the Lord wanted to do one more thing and then we said now that's a schedule and we're going to stick with it we become schedule Nazis you know I, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sometimes that's okay but you know most of the time uh, a lot of the time not a, most of the time but a lot of times it would, because we're so inflexible and then we go I don't know why the spirit doesn't move like he used to you know? <laughs> we're, we've gotten so inflexible so you gotta stay a little, a little bit open, you know, a little bit open. Amen. If you want to move with the spirit. Now, if you want a program, stick with you. Hey, hey, go for it. Stick by your guns. But, uh, I'm about programmed out. I don't know. I, <laughs> you know, the, pro, the program, if, you know, if the, the, the modern church, if the programs were gonna, 
the programs and the stylings and the cultural, uh, what's it called, the word they love, relevant, relevancy. If cultural relevancy was going to win the world, well, we would have already been, you know, over in glory in the millennial, you know, millennium or whatever. And, uh, I don't know when the, you know, when the, when the smoke machine put, put, puts is out and the, the cappuccino machine blows a fuse and, you know, I mean, you, you need to have something else available. The whirly gigs on the, you know. All right, praise God. I better preach. Get out of my complaining. Isn't that the truth? Uh, amen. Thank you, Sister Cindy. You're such an encouragement. Um, Isaiah. <laughs> Delayed reaction. Oh, we need a translator for the lady on the front row. Uh, <laughs> Cindy Black lives in Cindy's world. <laughs> it must be a happy place because she's always got the joy of the Lord, you know. Praise God. <laughs> if you said to Cindy, go to your happy place, she'd be like, I don't get, I don't understand what that means. I'm <laughs> Amen. Scarlet's not far behind, I'll tell you. <laughs> if you live in Scarlet's world, you're going to be happy. <laughs> I'm very privileged. I, I live in Scarlet's world. Hallelujah. Well, you know, we, we do everything in these meetings. We laugh, we cry, we... I don't know. We might we might have a chorus line before it's over. I, I I've seen that. <laughs> so, woo! Praise God. The Rockettes have hit Panama City Beach. <laughs> Isaiah fifty four and verse eleven. We'll get back on track here. Now, the reason the Lord this morning, I told Scarlett we were getting ready. I said. Um, I've already got the service, what we're supposed to do, for my part anyway. And um, uh, so the Lord told me to, to sing those two songs and to preach this message. Now, um, I want you to know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And what the devil wants to do in these trying times is rob you of peace. And I'm going to show you from the Word how dangerous that is to let go of peace. And that, you know, we think of peace as like Calgon bath oil beads, you know, just sitting somewhere soaking with quiet and birds twerping and whatever. And, uh, you know, butterflies and flowers. And I love all those things. But the thing is, um, that's, that's kind of just a carnal, you know, surfacey idea of peace is peace and quiet, we say. But peace as a force on this earth, uh, the, and I am kind of promoting my book at the same time because, I, because that's what evangelists do. In the old days, we had ushers up and down the aisles selling the book, like Lester Summerall, you know, uh, and then, uh, in camp meetings, we'd sell the song books, you know, for, 
you know, if you wanted to learn the words of the song, we wouldn't give you words for free on a screen. You had to buy the book. <laughs> but we've drifted a little from common sense. But um, <laughs> peace, peace is not just, uh, you know, a hippie slogan. And it doesn't mean just lack of war or lack of turmoil. But peace, according to the word of God, I'm going to show it to you, is a force to be reckoned with. And if you'll get peace as a force to be reckoned with in your life and use it as a weapon against the enemy, you you become a real threat to the devil and his kingdom. And you become unstoppable in your faith. And... uh so if you'll notice, if you've ever had your, how many's ever had their faith attacked? What you were claiming, what you were believing for, what you were saying, you know, is yours. And the, usually the first thing that'll happen, the first line of attack that the devil will, will come at you with is to try to steal your peace about it. And uh, worry and fear will then rule and reign and your faith disintegrates because faith and fear can't it's like oil and water. You, you can shake, you know, oil and vinegar or whatever. You can shake that jar until your arm falls off and it's never going to mix. And so faith, faith has to overcome the fear. But fear usually comes in through a, a robbery. Of the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. A robbery of your peace. Amen. And so I want to preach this to you because it was, it's such a blessing to me. Um, in uh, uh, September of 2011, we got the proverbial knock on the door from uh, the military uh, that our son had been killed in action in Afghanistan. Uh, and uh, he was a sniper. And uh, they, they have what they call a small kill team of 11 guys that went out, uh, you know, on patrol and looking for Taliban in Afghanistan. And uh, so, without getting into detail on that, but anyway, the, the surprise attack came from some Pakistani insurgents who came and uh, surprised the group. Uh, they, you know, had been tracking them, they found out. And uh, three of them with armed, uh, uh, you know, infiltrated the place where they were sort of hiding out, hanging out, uh, ready, and uh, and shot and killed three uh, American soldiers, one of them being my son, and then uh, wounded um, three more to the point that they had to go home. So the kill team was 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 cut in half, and uh, so obviously, you know, we went through the grief of that and the the sorrow of it, and all uh, the funerals. And some of you were were with us. I want to say uh, that too. If, if, if I got to be careful, this is all emotional, edgy stuff. I don't want to just stand here and blubber and blow snot on the pulpit. But um, we do have a cleanup crew probably. But, uh, you know, in the time of COVID, you don't want a lot of stuff coming out at the crowd. We used to have preachers that preached so hard and loud, you know, that if you sat on the first two rows, you had to bring a towel, you know, because you, you were going to get sprayed uh, with whatever. But... Um, uh, the, uh, I, I want to say to, uh, about our friends, uh, Mark and Janet Brzee is, uh, 
they were such uh, comfort to, to me and my wife, our family. Uh, they, they came. Mark actually spoke at Chris's funeral in Tulsa, and then they came to the, um, to the graveside at Arlington, amen, and uh, were, were, were there with us. And so uh, those are friends that you can count on, amen, and uh, a true friendship. And, uh, and uh, I just, I, if I say too much more, I'm going to, you know, this over, just carry me out on the stretcher. But um, uh, anyway, just, I, I never said that publicly, but I so appreciate your friendship. They have done so many things for us. Uh, that is just above and beyond, and it doesn't end up on the cover of a magazine or anything. You know, my father one time, uh, down at Orange Beach, our family has a little place there, and, and uh, my father in Alabama, Roll Tide, uh, Scarlett's got me trained to say Roll Tide. It's, it's praise the Lord and Roll Tide, hallelujah, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> But uh, any Alabama fans here? Pray? Oh, my God. They're, see, they're fanatics. They, you ask them to praise the Lord. It's man, roll tide. What? Where? Where? <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, any Auburn fans? We could have an altar call. Okay. My dad, my dad uh, was having some, some problems and uh, just, you know, uh, uh, physically and, and, uh, he had fallen, and, and they were just suggesting the doctor. He said, you need to go home to your doctor. And, and there was, uh, they couldn't make, make the, my mother says, well, I think I can drive the car, you know, from, from Alabama to Tulsa, you know, with my dad passing out and all this. I said, you are not driving the car. We'll have to figure out something. And then thought about trying to get my dad through, uh, you know, security in an airport. And uh, I, Mark had had told me about a friend of his that was a pilot who could get any size plane or whatever and, you know, do a, like a charter. And, um, and those things are not uh, cheap, by the way, that's expensive. But I, I told them about it and they, and Mark said, well, we'll just send a plane. We'll send the pilot and the plane and we're going to take care of the expense of it and everything and rescued my dad, you, you know, and brought him home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, uh, Sent, sent a driver on the plane out to drive their car back. I mean, these, these are fantastic people. Just want yes. you to know that I have so much respect and on. This is my introduction. Actually, I'm using all my time to introduce Mark. And he gave me a hundred dollar bill to do that. So praise God, you know, I want you to use all your time. To extol my virtues. No. no. Anyway, <laughs> extol them. These are words we only use in church. Church words. But anyway, um, uh, I just wanted to say I was thinking about it last night, and I was. Scarlett told me to introduce you last night, and and uh, I just felt like the flow of the service. I didn't want to shut it down and go to an introduction and stand half stand-up comedy. And then try to get back into the flow. So I thought, well, we can introduce, we have time. So uh, I wanted to tell you that uh, this is the introduction before I forget to do it. But uh, Mark and Janet Brzee, I have so much honor and respect for this man of God and, and, and woman of God. And they have absolutely 
for this generation been pioneers. They have started Bible schools all over the globe. Uh, been responsible. I don't know how many churches uh, or ministries are in existence in Europe uh, because of uh, the Brazil's ministry. Have built an amazing church uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Praise the Lord. God's holy city. I forgot to kiss my thumb. I can't get all that down. It's too much. I'd make a horrible Catholic. I can't remember the rigmarole. I got Pentecostal rigmarole down, but I, you know, that's, that's trickier, but you know, but, uh, I'm ruining the introduction, just ruining it, slaughtering it. This is why they only let me do two things, really. Play the organ when Greg's not here. And preach a little. That's it. That's, I'm not even allowed to take up the offering anymore or anything. Uh, and that's a good thing. But uh, I, uh, the Brazis have an amazing ministry and uh, carry an apostolic call on their life. And... Uh, Mark will will never let us call him Apostle Mark. He would that just doesn't work. But we could because I believe that you've got an apostolic calling on your life, and uh, and and um, the the two of you have just influenced so many people, and so many preachers are out on the field, and sons and daughters in the faith, and generations of them. You know, he looks good for 80, don't you think? I mean, (laughs) Geritol, we saved a few bottles. Yeah, it's on the table. We have bee pollen, what is it all that we've seen on the tables? Bee pollen and uh, (laughs) special vitamins, uh, water filters, praise God, the end-time transfer of wealth is coming through water filter, multi-level marketing. Praise God. All right. Back to the Bible hour. Sponsored by the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Churches of America. Okay. Um <laughs> Isaiah 14, anyway, I was in the middle of this terrible story about my son. And so um, we had gotten past the funeral and everything. And actually, it was our first speaking engagement since all that had happened. And we're in uh, New England, um, like uh, Springfield, Mass, or or Hartford area, somewhere like that. And... um, we're staying, the church that we're speaking at has put us at a nice hotel, and so they had a good breakfast. And my wife, Cherie, and I, we were having breakfast downstairs there, you know, just there's going to be a meeting at night. We'll meet the pastor later for a meal. And uh, for some reason, that morning, now this is the introduction of this, for some reason on that morning, I took my Bible with me to breakfast, which I have never done. I mean, you know, you have the Bible in your room. You go downstairs for breakfast, and 
then, you know, if you want to read your Bible, you go back to your room or whatever. Or if you're, maybe you carry it if you're going from there to the car to the meeting. But I don't know why. I just grabbed my Bible and, and took it down and sat it there on the table. And, um, in fact, it was this Bible, this very Bible. I took it down to the table and, uh, sat there and, uh, we're having breakfast and, I'm talking about nothing, you know, just nonsense, something, the news or whatever. And uh, small talk, morning small talk. Um, and um, I looked at my wife and, and tears were running down her face. And uh, now she's, she, she was from Minnesota and wasn't like particularly, you know, emotional or anything. You know, they, the Dutch learned how to you know, choke it all back and, you know, turn you into the Gestapo and then, you know, and, and not move. But anyway, um, she, she was just sitting there, um, um, and with these tears and, and, and just about ready to lose it, you know. And it was, it was a little unusual. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I just can't get over. I, she says, I have tried and tried and no, she doesn't need another. You know, she doesn't need a, a confession monitor or somebody to, you know, shake her head and pray or cast out anything. She, um, she just, you know, she said, I, I know what the word says. I know that the sun's in heaven. I know that everything, you know, is okay, but I just can't get over this grief. I'm just struggling with it, you know. And, uh, of course, everybody starts sending you grief books, you know, to read and whatever. And that's fine. But, uh, anyway, it was just a real struggle for her to overcome this, uh, this thing. Well, me, all I know is, uh, open the Bible and look at a scripture. We'll see what the word says about it. So, luckily, <laughs> can you say luckily? Not to charismatics. They don't like that. But anyway, uh, uh, or owls or Procter and Gamble. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I grabbed my Bible and it was there, thank God. And, and I just said, well, all I know, I thought of the word grief. I said, well, here's what the word says in Isaiah 53, uh, verse four, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And usually we, we, um, use the, translation or paraphrase of that uh sickness and disease uh sickness and pain uh and uh but it does say in the king james grief so you could use that uh of anything that is a sense of loss so it says surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him uh stricken Smitten of God and afflicted, he was wounded for. So he carried, you know, and I'm sitting here preaching like preachers do. I'm preaching to my wife about this scripture, you know, and trying to encourage her. Saying, well, you know, whatever, I said, whatever Jesus bore, you don't have to bear. You know, you don't have to bear this. You don't have to carry the weight of this. It's too much for any mother to bear that. And I said, so, you know, Jesus bore it. And, and of course, she's in agreement, nodding, crying. The waitress comes by. I'm so, I'm so old, I still call them waitresses. Stewardesses and waitresses. God, I'm so politically incorrect. What a horrible thing to call somebody. Anyway, 
Uh, I'm a hater because I call them a waitress and a stewardess. Uh, but um, our server came by and said, is there anything, you know, is everything okay here? I said, just leave us alone. Go away in the name. I have cross and garlic. Please go away. Hammer and stake in the trunk in case things get really out of hand. Uh, <laughs> my eyes drifted down to the next page to Isaiah 54 and I found a scripture that spoke directly to our need and to her need and uh, literally brought a deliverance like it was miraculous and continued for the rest of her life for several years. So it says here, Isaiah 54, my eyes just kind of, I kind of just scanned down and I looked and isn't it something how you can have a scripture that you've read and you know about and it just never speaks to you like it does at some critical moment. And I think that we today, this is where I'm getting to with this. We today are in a critical moment. And there's certain scriptures that come screaming at us like a fireball that is a rhema word and uh, literally transforms us. Amen. Did you know that find, you talk about moves of the spirit, which is the theme, moving in the spirit. A, a move of the Spirit can be certain, you know, certain things that happen in a service. But a move of the Spirit can be a word from the Lord, from Scripture, yes. that revolutionizes you. And you're never the same after that revelation. And you think, why didn't I see that before? Um, well, because sometimes the circumstances and the situation you know, hasn't happened to you in such a way that you need that in that way. But praise, it's like all the medicine in the world is available to your doctor. But there might be a certain kind of medication that doesn't have any relevance to you until you need it. And then he says, well, you haven't had this problem before, but now you do, so you're going to try this drug or this uh, pharmaceutical uh, concoction or whatever, and this one will help you. And you take it and you go, wow, this is really helping me. Uh, Why didn't I know about it before? Well, you didn't have any need to know it in that way. You might have heard of it. They advertise it on TV, you know. Ask your doctor if the purple pill is right for you. And so... You, you, you don't know until you, till you need the purple pill. I don't even know what that does. All right. Isaiah 54 and verse 11 says, Oh, now this, see, this spoke directly to my wife's grief. You get anything out of this? Oh, thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted. So here I had a person sitting in front of me that was not comforted. And no matter what the comforting words or the flowers or the cards of sympathy said or the grief books, 
uh, she was not comforted. So I, I said, look at this verse. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. She goes, that's me. Now, the tossed with tempest part, we don't really get too much. But, you know, that what that means is like being out here on the Gulf during a hurricane, and you're in a little dinghy with no paddle. The paddle's gone overboard. The rudder's broke. There's no motor. There's nothing. And you're down in the bottom of that thing and it's taking on water and you're hanging on for dear life and you're getting turned every which way. You know, the boat's going this way and that way and over and rolls and flops and is tossed with tempest. Like, like tossing a salad. Like it just flies every which way. And so, has anybody this year or in any time of your life been there where you felt that way? Now, we're faith people. We'll never confess that this is happening. But <laughs> I love gratuitous slaps. Anyway, we're faith people. So, like, you know, oftentimes we have a hard time relating to certain scriptures because we don't want to admit that that's who we are. But you know, sometimes if that, if you're, <laughs> if you look in the mirror of the word and you see yourself, you might want to read what's next. Yes. You know, I don't need that. I'm a New Testament person. Praise the Lord. I've got my confession cards and that's all I need. Well, I'm all for confession cards. I got some I make up and stuff. It's great. I mean, we confess the word. Amen. Amen. But you know, sometimes it's okay to say, Lord, I need you. And you know, I get, I, you know, sometimes when, when God is emphasizing, uh, we call it a, a move or a wave, but in some ways it's an emphasis on a certain theme and a revelation that God it wants to get over to the church for what's coming next. Amen. I thank God for the faith movement. I thank God for what we learned about the integrity of God's word, the nature and character of God, uh, how to stand on, I didn't, know how to stand on the word before that and uh how many know what i'm talking about am i preaching to like am i speaking in a foreign language and don't know it and i've moved over to diverse kinds of tongues <laughs> am i relating today to anybody has anybody le- learned how to stand on the word you, you don't just automatically get that because you go to a nice church with gladiolas out front in the in front of the pulpit Um, that we stand on the word and we, 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 we stand on the word and we, um, we learn how to do that. But if we're not careful, we just, we just, we, we can get jaded almost with that and say, well, I, I know, I know what the word says. Well, Sheree and I could have said that. We know what the word says. We don't need anything. We need it. I'm, I'm like, I'm looking for answers here, man. I'm, my world is spinning. I claimed Psalm 91 over my kid when he left and he was claiming it and he comes home in a bag. So, I mean, you know, this will shake you to your core and uh, challenge everything you preach and everything you believe. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I'm grateful for. And after all that happened, we kind of, you know, did a, f- a few little meetings, but not, not like I had been. 
And my friend, Mark Brzee, called me and said, I want you to come to our church and do a Sunday night. I think you were doing a Sunday night healing service once a month or something. He said, I want you to come and preach at our church, uh, the healing service. And uh, now this was after... My wife passed away. Yeah, I thought, I thought I have known the depths of grief, uh, that nobody, nobody, and then my wife lives a few more years, gets attacked with cancer. You know how hard it is for faith preachers to talk about stuff like this? You're not supposed to. It's in the unwritten book. Don't ever mention it. But I'm telling you, people, we're not gods that live on Mount Olympus. You know, uh, with nothing ever, oh, I just, if I could just attain to their level. Listen, listen, I think, I think the attacks against ministers are almost worse than just the average person because the devil's trying to get you to quit and say you don't know anything. So my wife passes away a few years later and my friend again, Mark, calls and says, we want you to come do a healing meeting. I, I said, okay. And then I, I hung up the phone and I thought, oh my God. I, I, I just buried my wife who died of cancer and he wants me to do a healing meeting in his church. Do you understand what a huge gesture that is? Because preachers, who I love preachers, all my friends are preachers. Almost all my friends are preachers. But I'll tell you what, preachers can be brutal on one another and judgmental and say, well, I don't, I'm not going to have him in my church to do a healing meeting. He can't even get his wife healed or his family. Something's wrong. One lady came to me one time in Tulsa, praise the Lord, and she said, <laughs> she said, I don't know. There's something about you that's wrong. I said, have you got three hours? <laughs> Again, it's that false thing that if you're a minister, you don't have any snags. There's just something about you that's not quite right. I said, have you got three hours? You're such a distraction to me. Okay, Mark, it's your turn. We're going to the room. It's my morning to preach, and my wife wears this sweater out to the meeting, you know. <laughs> Hi, I'm ready for your meeting. And why do you do this to me? <laughs> Isn't she spectacular? In every way. I'm blessed more than I deserve. I'm telling you, Absolutely. God is merciful on me. <laughs> now you need to pray for Scarlett. You're like, what's it like living with him? Wow, oh, my God. <laughs> you sweetheart. Now let me get back to the Bible. You know, it's good to laugh. Stupid devil. (laughs) 
You know, we have a great goal, all of us believers. It's called pit day. It's the day the devil gets thrown in the pit. Yeah. <laughs> and we say, yeah. And we say, um, is this the one that deceived the nations? This little squirrely, weaselly thing with a shriveled up, you know, I just think of Gollum, you know, from Lord of the Rings, like a little shriveled up, powerless imp. That's what he's going to look like when you see him. But we're not going to see him till pit day, and then we're going to have a party. <laughs> Make a cake and everything. Hire a band. Hallelujah. So anyway, I appreciate Mark kind of jump-started me back, you know, and said, uh, you're going to come do a healing meeting. I got up there. I told, I, it's, you know, I don't know if they got the video of it or not, but I told, I told the, the congregation they got a great church. I said, I, it's, it's taken every ounce of faith and everything within me to stand here and declare these things. It, it, it's always God's will to heal everybody. Yes. Healing's an established fact. And uh, I used to preach, you know, and I still do. I used to say, I don't care who doesn't get healed. I don't care who doesn't get healed. That doesn't change the Bible. Well, boy, you know, when you have to live that and eat that, it's not easy. But we do it anyway. I say, let God be true and every man a liar, even if it's me. I'd rather call me a liar than God a liar. If anything Brother Hagin put into us, it was that. You know, we're going to stand on the word come hell or high water. It doesn't matter. And I'll tell you, that kind of faith in the in the written word, sometimes, I've said this for years, sometimes the only confirmation you have is the ink on the paper. The ink on the paper is all you've got. You don't have a feeling. You don't have your favorite evangelist call you at 3 a.m. and tell you a word, you know, in, first it starts in Chinese tongues and then goes to something else and then you get the translation. You don't, <laughs> and sometimes that wouldn't even help you. All the good words and the encouragement and everything, best intentions. But I'll tell you what, a word from the living God. I do like what Brother Copeland says. One word from God can change your life forever. And this scripture set us free. And this is true today. For everybody who can relate to this, if you're honest enough, if you feel, if you can relate to being afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. Here's a word. Behold. Look. Behold means look. Like open your eyes. Look. Get your head out of the dirt. You're not an ostrich. I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. I will make the windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. He's talking about a fortress, a castle, a pretty fancy one. It wasn't long after this, I made a trip to uh, Spain and they had crusade uh, uh, era castles still there like everywhere. And uh, I was looking at the windows, and they're made out of slices of agate. I, I didn't know what windows of agate looked like, but it's 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 a it's a stone. They slice it so thin, 
and put it in where the windows would be because the arrows and things that would have been shot at that castle can't penetrate agate. It's, it's stone, but it lets light in. Whoo, glory. I saw that and came unglued when I saw that. I said, oh my God, it's right out of the Bible. And it says, and while this is happening, and some of you can relate to this, and you ought to claim it, all thy, this is the gospel of peace, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy, the what? The peace of thy children. Some of our children are in turmoil right now. But praise God, we can stand on these scriptures. Is this helping anybody? In righteousness, that's the name of the castle, righteousness. You know, if you have a big enough house, you can put a name on it. If you have a house that's not quite big enough and you put a name on it, you look ridiculous. It's called pretension. But the great houses, the great castles and villas and so forth, they have a name. They'll put a name on it. Villa something another. Palm Beach is full of them. It's one estate after another and they all have a name. This castle is so great, God's named it. And the name of that castle that you can dwell in in peace is righteousness. And the whole world outside that castle can be going down, people dying left and right, one thousand, uh, what is it, uh, a thousand on one side, ten thousand at your right hand, it shall not come near you. You're safe inside the castle. And it's a beautiful castle. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about your house on your cul-de-sac. I'm talking about spiritual castle. That even though the arrows fly over, and even though the, the uh, greatest uh, tools of warfare are slung at you. You're safe inside the castle. Even the windows where the light comes through are protected. And the name of that's righteousness. And you need to have a sense of righteousness. Amen. And know who you are in Christ. In righteousness shall thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression. Well, now we've got these communists in. I don't know what's going to happen. Far from oppression. Live in your castle. Don't live in CNN and Fox and Flake and whatever else you're watching. For thou shalt not fear and from terror. Thou shalt not fear and from terror. For it shall not come near you. It shall not come near you. I, I don't know. I just think this might relate to where we are right now in America, folks. And then I want you to look at the, the final verse 17 here, and then one more scripture, and then I'm going to turn this over, and I'm, I'm, I'm still taking everybody's time. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, but there's a condition as if you stay inside the castle. You get outside that thing and get in the flesh with it and go out there. I'm going to straighten things out and you're going to get beat up. Every tongue 
that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage. Okay, so I'm reading you the provisions of the will here. Somebody left you something. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen. So I read that scripture, and peace came to that breakfast table. And stayed. We got delivered from grief from that scripture. I mean delivered. Like lunch that day, everybody's laughing and happy. We got delivered from grief. We got delivered from pain. We got delivered from unanswered questions that probably won't be answered till we get to the other side. But I'm, I'm good with that. I'm okay. Hallelujah. You better get good with that. If you're going to have joy in this life, because there's going to be stuff that happens. I'm not like prophesying anything bad, but there's stuff that can happen. I'll say it that way, that you just don't have an answer for. Somebody says, well, I saw Sister Ledbetter. You know, she's Ledbetter and everybody. I saw Sister Ledbetter. If there's ever saying a God, she never cut her hair. She's got the biggest atomic bomb hair in the church. You know, the group I grew up with, the higher the hair, the greater the glory. I figured out our denomination had radar inside that hair. It was a camouflage for radar to report back to headquarters. A little mini camera behind curl number 17, you know. If it's ever a saint of God, it was Sister Ledbetter. I mean, she she never missed a Wednesday night. And I tell you, you know, and she brought the best banana pudding to the... I mean, you know, people just come up with this stuff, you know, about... Uh, about uh, and, 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 if, and if anybody, and, and we weren't people, you know, we said, well, uh, they confessed the word to the end. I saw them, their lips were moving when they drew their last breath and they were claiming, you know, Isaiah 53 or whatever and they didn't make it and I don't know anymore. I don't know what to believe. And it's like, well, you better know what to believe. What does that have to do with you? What does it have to do with your covenant with God? What does it have to do with the scripture? Well, I don't know. It's just all confusing. I just, I just think we don't know anything hardly. Well, I wouldn't confess that. I guess there's a scripture for people like that. It's called let the ignorant remain ignorant. You just have ignorant class. All of you who choose to be ignorant, please go over here. We have a rubber room for you to bounce your head off. We know people that's been in the rubber room. Um, they have those. Uh, Ephesians 6. Now, I want to show you this real quick, okay? And then I will yield the floor to Dr. Mark. Ephesians 6. Now, we know this scripture, right? It's about the armor of God, right? Uh, 14. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then it talks about that we wrestle against, you know, principalities. We don't wrestle against flesh. And the, again, again, he says, take the armor. I wanted you to see this. The, the, the next, uh, 
uh, one, of, one of the things in the middle of this list that we kind of just read over, because we've put a lot of emphasis on this, the shield of faith, and we've put a lot of emphasis on the sword, the, the word of God, right? We've put a lot of emphasis on those. And the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. We've put emphasis on that and kind of read over verse 15. But this is something I want you to see how important it is. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now we've just read through that. Oh yeah, sure, some shoes. No, let me tell you about these shoes. Now there's, um, you know, there's theologians and some of them are, Questionable, but there's, then there's good things you can learn from theologians. And, um, I, I can't cite the, the man's name. It's in, it's in my book there. It's cited. But, um, there was a theologian who, who did extensive research on this particular passage of scripture. And he said, the image that you have here, this is from Paul, is of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, this is what his gear would have looked like. Well, I'm sure we've all seen movies and, and documentaries and things and, and pictures of what a Roman soldier would have looked like, uh, you know, and uh, the, the helmet that's got the brush on the top, you know, fuller brush salesman helmet and, uh, and all that. And you, you kind of get a picture, of, you know, the skirt that's made out of uh, metal and all that to fight and the big sword and the shield. Well, we get an image of that, but what we didn't, what I didn't know until I researched this, and this is what I want you to see, is the feet shod with the, with the, what does it say? The preparation of the gospel of peace. That's huge. And the reason it's important. And then the next, uh, the next piece that we pick up is the shield of faith. So this is getting ready to get the shield and the helmet and the sword, you're going to put on all the rest of it. There's an order to it. So they've got <laughs> these shoes. And I'm going to tell you, I've read stories like the Civil War. One of the problems uh, was getting enough shoes supplied and boots. And there were well-abled fighting men who died because of inadequate footwear. Um or or they were just stranded. They couldn't go out and fight the battle because you can't run out there barefoot in mud and, and snow and ice and so forth and fight a battle. Well, this is so cool. So the this this uh, this guy uh, this theologian had had you know and had used all of his ancient writings and so forth to describe this, but the description. Of this particular pair of shoes that you see here is a Roman sandal, but it's a warfare sandal. It's got a very thick sole and wide around the entire foot. The reason for that, this is so cool. Are you ready for something cool? This is so cool. So the reason is they would line up on the front lines and then be handed their shield and sword they're standing there in the fighting position, feet apart here, and they're standing on these wide sole sandals, you know, that lace up all the way to the knees. And then some other soldiers would come with these long spikes 
and nail their feet to the ground. Because the Romans were going to make sure none of their soldiers turned tail and ran. They're going to fight to the death out on the front line with their feet nailed to the ground. They literally drove stakes into the ground. When I saw this, I, I said, this has got to go in my book. This is amazing. The, 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 what the, what Paul has described here is not just some, some good shoes. Hey, these Birkenstocks, they'll be pretty good out here on the battlefield. No, it's not that. There's something else. <laughs> Birkenstock. I have family in Portland. Um, <laughs> right? They all wear Birkenstocks. So, uh, so, you know, the, they nail, they nail their, they nail their, uh, shoot sandals and feet and they're laced up. And in other words, now you're prepared for battle and, and they can't knock you down very good. You can, you can be shoved or whatever, but you're, and if you get knocked over, you can stand right back up and you've got your feet planted like a foundation. And if you don't think that's important, I just think it's huge. And so I think so many times we've grabbed our shield of faith, we've grabbed our sword of the Spirit, we've run at the devil, and we're barefoot or we've got on flip-flops. If you're from Florida, that's the official shoe, is flip-flops. I We wear flip-flops 300 and something days of the year, and uh, I've never worn them to preach at church, but I'm tempted. But I resist that uh, because my feet are not beautiful to look at. I don't care what the Bible says about how beautiful are the feet, with the exception of David's feet. There's an asterisk C footnote below. This does not mean you should wear flip-flops to preach. But we can tell you, now you're here in this beautiful state at a very nice time of the year, but I'm telling you, come visit us in the middle of July. You'll be in flip-flops too. Because we can't breathe otherwise. But we run out there in flip-flops or we run out there barefoot or run out there ill-shod with our feet and, and wonder why we get slaughtered every time. And I'll tell you what, get your feet grounded in peace, the peace of God. And with peace comes confidence, comes boldness. I'm cool. I'm, it's, it's noisy. You know, uh, uh, um, a cannonball can come zinging by, you know, touch the edge of your ear and you're not moved. You're not distracted. You're not looking everywhere. You're looking up. You've got your, your feet shod. And you're fighting the battle with, with victory. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Peace is a force to be reckoned with. And that's why the devil tries to disturb it so. Yes. Here's a word from the Lord. Turn your TV off. And don't even watch TV preachers if they're trying to scare you into buying meals ready to eat. You know, come on. Come on, God's supplying us. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna eat, you know, four year old food out of a can, and, you know, down in my cellar. In, in Oklahoma, we had these 
cellars, you know, by the farmhouse. Everybody goes. I heard so many stories of people running down there and it's full of snakes, you know, or something. The snakes beat them to the... Well, that's always fun. Depending on how Pentecostal you are, you might enjoy that sort of thing. We do have people, you know. All right, praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and thank God. We can stand because we've got peace on our feet. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, should we take a five-minute break? If you leave, you're, you're demon-possessed. Okay. What? The, the, the oh. table for the